Today on Wine Access Unfiltered. That year right there was 1987. It was the first time that they had let the cameras in the clubhouse for those celebrations like that. Mm. And they were live and I didn't know they were live. And I'm in there, <laughs> I'm screaming, yelling, and uh, I got quite a bit of profanity headed out yonder. You know, the uh, the, report, the reporter's like, well, Will, you need to calm down. And I'm like, hell with you. I've been waiting a long time for this. And, you know, and I'm squirting champagne all over the place. And um, the next day I actually had had to come out. The, the team made me come out and, and do a public apology for the profanity. But, oh, but. No, no, no. Well, Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. We've got a legend with us today. I haven't quite seen the reaction from uh, Joe, who's my CEO, <laughs> to almost any of our podcast guests. But for Will, he was like... <gasps> Like, I think he had some, you know, transformative childhood experience, you know, watching him play and has stuck with him forever. So yeah, you know, he's a a big deal. He's definitely a big deal. Will the Thrill Clark, most famous for playing with the Giants. That is, uh, I think, where officially he retired. He is quite a guy. I had a really fun and interesting conversation with him prior to this podcast. He's a guy, when I asked him about drinking wine, he was like, well, you know, I drink some Jack, I drink some Coors wine, I kind of drink a little bit. And I was like, all right, well, uh, this should be interesting. But uh, one of the things that he did tell me is that he loves Merlot. And he's not a guy that branches out a lot, but when he does, it's with a different kind of Merlot. And I wonder, Vanessa, if you can guess why. Well... I'm thinking maybe softer, rounder, plusher texturally. You're a pro, Vanessa, of course. You nailed it. But I think that's exactly what it is. So when I got into <laughs> it with him, I was like, well, tell me about Merlot. Why do you like Merlot? And he said, well, you know, it's, and he started describing all those things. It's a little softer. It's plushier. I don't like when, you know, it's so intense and, you know, it. I don't like that thing. And I was like, oh, I was like, it sounds like, you know, tannin is something that you sort of try to avoid. So I, I named a couple of things and he was like, exactly. So uh, he's a guy that likes Merlot, which is a really sort of refreshing take because we have had some rather adverse reactions <laughs> to our friend Merlot recently. Yeah, gets such a bad rap, but totally refreshing. I'm really excited. And and I, I really like the wine that you chose for him, both wines, um, but the Merlot, I'm, I'm very excited to try. Thanks. Well, yeah, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't push him a little bit outside of his comfort zone. He is a guy that enjoys wine and has some friends that are in the wine business and does enjoy a glass with dinner. So uh, I thought it would be fun to maybe mix it up a little bit and give him something that gave him all the things that he really loves about Merlot in, in terms of texture and that soft sort of plushiness, but with a few different varieties that he maybe hasn't had before. So that's where we're going today. I think we've got two delicious wines um, and a great conversation ahead of us. He's a guy known for personality and enthusiasm and a lot of confidence. So with that, let's drink. We've got Will the Thrill Clark with us, hopefully doing something you've never done before, which is be on a wine podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Amanda. This is uh, definitely a first I've done uh, a bunch of Zooms and a bunch of podcasts, but never discussing wine. So this is pretty neat. That's good. I, I like a first timer, although it seems like you're pretty comfy in this format since you told me just before we got on that you jumped into the wines already. I like yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I told you, you know, uh, being a baseball player, scouting reports are a big part of our job. And uh, I definitely couldn't come on the uh, program without having uh, partaking a little bit and having some uh, idea what I was getting my feet into. All right. I like it. A man who likes to practice before he gets on and <laughs> swings the bat, so to speak. Well, <laughs> practice makes perfect. 
product, right? Batting practice for wine or something. You got that right. (laughs) Well, you told me that uh, you're a man who, you don't drink a ton of wine, but when you do drink it, it's all Merlot. You love Merlot. And I love that about you because Merlot, as we've talked in this show before, tends to get a bad rap to the point where a lot of of people won't even pick it up. But you, when you're branching out and you're drinking, it's always Merlot. We just like to change a little bit. And you like wines that are a little bit, um, a little bit softer on the tannin side of things. So, you know, it doesn't feel so grippy in your mouth. So we picked two for you. Since you have had a little practice with these already, maybe I'll cue you up. I mean, we never ask people, you know, what they think about the wine until we get into it. But if you have any thoughts, I mean, so, did you try the one with the crazy label, the Eight Years in the Desert by Orrin Swift? <laughs> yes, I, I tried the the Orrin Swift one and then also the uh, Coho uh, Merlot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you and I had talked, you know, I liked the fruitier side of of the wines, uh, especially in the reds. And so that's why I sort of yep. gravitated towards the Merlots. The Cabernets with the peppery end um, and a little bit of harshness. And I think you said that was the tannins. Mm-hmm. They, um, for me personally, didn't suit my palate. And uh, the two wines that you guys had sent me were definitely more on my end of the spectrum. So you guys hit it perfect there. Um, one was definitely more attractive to me. The other one is okay. Mm. Okay. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we hit it out of the park, but if you liked at least one, I think that's good. So I'm curious, which one did you prefer? So believe it or not, I am more into the, uh, Orin Swift oh. eight years in the desert. I love that. Yeah. Um, huh. we had, we had talked about it a minute ago and, and Vanessa, so you, you're along the same lines too. I know that there's fruit in there and there's sometimes where I can pick out a specific fruit. Mm-hmm. But if if it's a combination of the fruit flavors, I, I really couldn't tell you exactly what it is. Yeah. But with the orange swift, the fruit that was in there, whether it be, you know, the the raspberry or the blackberry or whatever it was, I really, really like that a lot. Mm. Yeah, the Orange Swift is really interesting. Vanessa, do you have the breakdown of uh, what's in here? Because this is kind of a I, hodgepodge I, of things. I do. It's Zinfandel, Syrah, Petite Syrah, and I'm forgetting something. Hold on one second. Grenache. I think Grenache, right? Zinfandel, Syrah, Petite Syrah, and Grenache. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So not even a drop of Merlot. You fully left the Merlot bandwagon by way of Orange Swift, Eight Years in the Desert. How's it feel? Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it feels really good. I mean, you know, and that's that's kind of why it's interesting to do something like this with uh, you ladies is to kind of open up my eyes as to, you know, what might be out there and what I might want to try next time I have me a nice big piece of uh, steak right in front of me. Yeah. Well, this is also why I asked people, when you say you really like Merlot, that's why I asked you, what is it about Merlot that you like? Because I think when we talk about varietals, I think consumers really get attached to things that they like by way of variety. So, you know, I really like cabs or I really like sins, but they can really change from place to place and producer to producer. So that's why I really wanted to hone in on what it is you like. And also, you know, potentially find another variety or varieties that would have some of the things that you really like about Merlot. I like your approach with that, Amanda. I call that... Uh, Thanks. Right? Like, if you like this, then you might like that. Yes. Good tactic. I like that. You know, and then, and then, like I said, you know, as far as like uh, a wine drinker or connoisseur or whatever it is, I'm a very much a newbie. And so, you know, you guys taking kind of my preferences and sort of running with it and giving me some options here, uh, that really, really was, was pretty neat. I, uh, I really liked that a lot. 
Good. Well, I'm glad. And the one thing I will say about the Coho that I didn't mention is it's a 2015 and it's from Coombsville. And Coombsville is one of the cooler AVAs in temperature, not in style. Uh, and 2015, you know, it was a, a warm vintage, but, you know, a t- a just a touch of age on this wine. And I'm wondering if, you know, because it has that, mm-hmm. some of those more, you know, peppery, savory things in the wine are starting to kind of come through, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe where the, you know, the adversity comes uh, by, you know, with relation to your palate. So, well, and then not only that, too, you know, even in the description that you guys had sent me, it said, bold mm. and uh and it is it's it's more on the bolder side of the merlots that i drink mm-hmm. but still it was attractive it would be something that i would have with a steak but it would probably wouldn't be my first preference yeah you know i i wonder too if with the coho um because it's you know it's called the michael black um and that's the name of the michael black merlot coombsville um by coho and it's michael black is the name of their viticulturalist and he actually developed his own clone of Merlot mm. that that he named after himself called the Black Clone. Um, but it has smaller berries and smaller clusters. And so I think you also get a little bit more kind of intensity, density, um, which maybe, you know, everything you're describing is probably a little bit one step too far, yeah. perhaps, for for what you enjoy. Yeah. Well, and then not only that, too, in, in the info that you sent me, they only made 180 cases, is that correct? Yeah, it was tiny. It was also a tiny vintage, so there there wasn't a lot to go around mm-hmm. anyway. Look, I, like I said, I, I was attracted to it, but in pairing it with the Orange Swift, I would head towards the Orange Swift taste of things. Yeah, well, and that Orange Swift is such a loud wine. I mean, like mm-hmm. that's like turning the stereo all the way up and like playing Zeppelin and just going <laughs> to town. <laughs> you just put on like classical music next to it. <laughs> <laughs> I am a classic rocker, so there I am. ACDC. Oh, I love it. I love oh. it. Well, I mean, we, we'd be remiss not to talk about your baseball days. It sounds like you were your newbie when it comes to wine, but yeah. in your days playing baseball, was there any wine in there? You know, um, one of my teammates, uh, he and his wife love to drink wine and still do. It's uh, Mike Kruko, who's also one of our announcers. Mm. And, you know, back in the day, they would give me a glass of wine here and there and I'd just try it. But I had no earthly idea what I was doing. (laughs) Being a a redneck from Southern Louisiana, you know, at the same time, I think I've accumulated a taste over the years and uh, having been around Mike and Mike telling me what what to look for and stuff like that. But also at the same time, you know, when... We were in San Francisco. We literally played every day. We had one day off a month, mm-hmm. and that was usually a travel day. So there was really no time to like break away and get to Napa. Mm-hmm. I've actually had a chance to go to Napa more since I've been retired, and I, and I come in from time to time and work with the team now. And where do you go when you go up to Napa Valley? Uh, believe it or not, uh, I got a good friend who's got a little, uh, hotel there in, uh, in Helena. Santa Lena. That's where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've been up there and then also I've had two friends from the Bay area. Both of them had their weddings up there. Um, there's a little, I guess you want to, it's a winery, but it's got a big cave. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, there's a few wineries with caves, but maybe, um, they do weddings there and stuff like that. And it was pretty neat because you and you and I were talking about it before. And Vanessa, for your experience too, is how you get in this cave and all of a sudden it gets a lot cooler. Yeah. Just the temperatures, the ambient temperature. I was like, I was like, man, this is pretty neat. Now I know how, you know, they go about aging the wine and stuff like that. Yeah. Nice, cool temperatures. Yeah. Exactly. Caves are a a dime a dozen. In fact, um, 
there's some pretty cool ones. And if you've never done a cave tour, if you're listening to this podcast, you've never done a cave tour in Napa, it's, it's well worth doing. Just for the for the cooling off sake, if, since, <laughs> since you mentioned it, it can get pretty hot. It's nice to go in a cave and cool off and drink some wine. Um, it's interesting, Dusty, when we had Dusty Baker on, who I think you had mentioned was uh, your hitting coach. Okay. Yes. Um, Dusty, Dusty was my hitting instructor for five years before he became my manager. Right, right, right. Yeah. He was mentioning the same thing when he was talking about Hank Aaron and, you know, just no, no time to be going out. And mm-hmm. I think we think of baseball players traveling around the country and, you know, getting place to place and, you know, all these lavish dinners that you guys must be having, but it doesn't sound like anybody had time for that kind of thing. Well, you know, I mean, when you're flying cross country, you're talking about, and then this was back in the day, you, you know, you're flying probably six hours one way to get across country and then coming back the other way, you'd fly seven or eight. Yeah. And, uh, back in those days too, you didn't have, uh, you didn't have enough fuel on the plane, so you'd have to pit stop. So, uh, I got a chance to know Des Moines, Iowa, airport really well <laughs> so any anything you've came to like about it yeah you know nice wine bar yeah <laughs> the uh the the fun part like i said you know was was getting a chance to know your teammates and like like i said mike kruko you know he was a wine aficionado and you know listen to him explain things although at the time i had no earthly idea what the hell he's talking about and you know, in talking to you and Vanessa now, I'm, I'm getting a chance to experience it a little bit more and understand kind of where he was coming from. Well, it sounds like Mike has pushed you in a, a couple of different directions when it comes to your palate. I heard a story that he tried to take you to a sushi spot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He uh, <laughs> he tried to take me to a sushi spot. And this was, the, this was literally my first time ever going to eat sushi. And uh, he ordered it, needless to say, and come out and I go, I go, hell, this is bait where I come from. (laughs) (laughs) So he he uses that story all the time. Yeah, no, I thought that was so funny. And it's, you know, it's interesting that he's the one you're, you're at least trusting him a little bit, right? Like, did you eat the sushi? Oh yeah, I did. And, uh, I am a huge sushi eater now. Get out of here. Uh, Yeah, no, one of the things about being, you know, from the South and, and being an outdoorsman is I actually love trying different things. There is nothing mm. that I that I won't at least try once and say, all right, at least I tried it. it the same is going right now uh with the with the wine that we're having here. Like I said, you know, I've I've never really kind of I guess you want to say tried a Shira or or a Zinfandel. And then you guys have sent me a bottle and it's like, oh my goodness, this is this is good. This is another avenue that I can head on down besides my one in the basket Merlot. I love it. Has there been anything else that Mike's turned you on to that you were like, absolutely not. I am not getting on board that train. You know, I, you and I talked about it and Vanessa, for your info, I, I'm not a Chardonnay person. Mm. I've never been a Chardonnay. Um, yep. I actually have tried, believe it or not, some of the um, dessert ones like a Moscato or a Port. Mm-hmm. And I actually I actually don't mind those here and there. Those are delicious, especially when they're when they're done right. Yeah, I think one of my favorites comes from Napa Valley, the, the Farniente Dolce. Have you ever had that one? I have not. I have not. That's the... Uh, all I know is... They call that liquid gold. Yeah, all I know yeah. is you put the Moscato in the, in the freezer, it gets a little slushy. I was like, ooh, I got like a <laughs> snowball on me here. Yeah. Perfect for hot weather, poolside. Yep. You got it. Is that like a snowball, like like Nolan style snowball? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, we got we got those uh, New Orleans style. The only problem is uh, we don't put the alcohol in them like y'all do. 
I think you need to change that. You're in Louisiana now. I know I know you're in Baton Rouge, but get over to, yeah. to New Orleans yeah, and, no. and turn it up. No, the other ones, the other ones uh, are the slushies with the alcohol or the daiquiris. Yeah, they mm. they got drive through daiquiris. So, you know, that shows you how stupid we are down here. I mean, <laughs> here, let's drive through and get a, a 32-ounce slushie with alcohol and go driving around drinking. We don't promote that kind of thing in Napa Valley uh, no. or <laughs> elsewhere for that matter. <laughs> I don't know. That shows you. That shows you what happens when you when you veer off course from Mardi Gras. <laughs> I've never been down there. Have you, Vanessa? I have, but not during Mardi Gras. Okay, oh. is that a rite of passage? Well, is that something everybody should do or no? You know what? Uh, it's it's pretty interesting to see. You know, and and it's it's really is a lot of fun. Mm. It was really getting to be uh, really well for like family atmosphere too, because all the kids love it so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. Here lately with the with the COVID situation, you know they've had to back down from it, but uh, it'll it'll yeah. come back. I think that's got to be on my bucket list. Did you say Mardi Gras was kid friendly? Did I just hear that correctly? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, most most of the time it's it's people taking you know their kids out to uh, you know the parades and huh. and they're throwing beads and doubloons and little stuffed animals and the kids absolutely go insane for it. I guess I, you know, maybe I've only seen it portrayed in movies and stuff, but I always pictured it being sort of more debaucherous and, you know. Actually, it's not. Huh. Um, believe it or not, it's it's actually a little bit more of a of a of a family atmosphere. Uh, the debaucherous side of things is more downtown New Orleans, but there's there's other parades everywhere else. Hmm. Well, now I don't want to go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, put it this way, you know, for for not only for not only you, uh, but also for Amanda. Um, you guys would really enjoy the food too. I mean, if you, if you like seafood, everything's extremely fresh and there's a ton of places down in New Orleans and here in Baton Rouge as well that are, uh, mom and pop type places, you know, where grandma's in the back cooking and it's the Mm -hmm. best homemade food you've ever had. Oh man. We've only had the imposter versions out where we are. Yeah. And those are good, but I, I have to imagine that the real thing's got to be better. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. <laughs> so I was watching a video, an old video of you. You were celebrating up a storm. You had a bottle of champagne. Oh. You were talking to a report. You're going crazy. Yes. And and you, you're, I love champagne. You're going nuts. And you have the champagne. You're opening it and you're like shaking it up. And like the psalm inside of me is dying because I'm like, he's going to hit someone. And then <laughs> it occurred to me that I was like, well, you know what? I was like, you know, champagne corks fly out at about 25 miles per hour. These guys are getting hit with fastballs like left and right. So maybe I shouldn't be that nervous. Uh, no. Is that accurate to say? That was very accurate to say. Very accurate to say. So, you know, <clears throat> when you win, they have the bottles of champagne there. And it's mm-hmm. definitely not to drink. It's to shake up and pour all over people, you know. And so that year right there was 1987. It was the first time that they had let Mm -hmm. the cameras in the clubhouse for those celebrations like that. Mm. And they were live. And I didn't know they were live. And I'm in there. (laughs) I'm screaming, yelling. And I I got quite a bit of profanity headed out yonder. You know, the 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 reporter's like, well, Will, you need to calm down. I'm like, hell with you. I've been waiting a long time for this. And, you know, and I'm squirting champagne all over the place and um uh the next day i actually had to come out the the team made me come out and and do a public apology for the profanity but oh no 
Yeah, but in talking to fans later on, they're all like, that was the best thing ever. We were right there with you. We were feeling the same way. And so the fans absolutely loved it. <laughs> That's good. You had some fans for life. Yeah. You had to issue an apology, but did you also have to clean up all the champagne? No, no, no. That's not my job. That's what uh that's that's what what's called when you tip the clubhouse guy. That's what that's for. <laughs> so how how bad does it hurt if you get hit with the baseball? Uh it it stings for a little while. Uh a lot of times it just depends on where you get hit. If you get hit in oh, yeah. in like, you know, like one of the meaty part of the muscles or in the butt or in the back or something like that. That doesn't really hurt too bad. But if you get hit like in the elbow or in the fingers or something like that, that really hurts a lot. Do you ever get used to it? Yeah, I did because I got hit all the time because back in the day, (laughs) it was kind of um, if we accidentally hit somebody or something, they'd always hit, you know, the the best player on the other team. So I'd come up there and Uh I'd wear one all the time. So it happens. Put it this way. You know, you know when it is intentional and when it's not. Uh-oh. When it's not, it's just uh, it, it starts at you and you, you kind of try to get out the way and you can't. And, and when it's intentional, it has your name written all over it. You cannot get out the way. There ain't no way in God's green earth. Is that what is that where you were referring to when you said message pitch? Yes. Is that a message pitch? Yes. Okay. Exactly. That's <laughs> the, exactly. The message is not very nice. <laughs> that message is don't hit our guy no more. <laughs> okay, we get it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I heard you say that in, re- in reference to uh, that first homer off of uh, Nolan Ryan. and he. Um, the next time up there, after I hit the home run, the first at bat, next time up there, uh, he threw one up and in on me a little bit. And it was just to let the rookie know that, Hey, I'm the big dog and uh, you got to respect me a little bit. And I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No problem. Is there water under the bridge now? It was just back in the day. It was a pitches versus hitters thing, you know, and, and Nolan was definitely old school. If you look at the game now, I mean, everybody and their grandma are like friends out there. I mean, you would think that their first cousins, Mm. they're jumping around and hugging each other and all that. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a second, you're fixing to walk out on the field and try to kick his butt. So uh, you, you better not, not be too friendly with him you know it was different back in the day but it's definitely loosened up now yeah let me ask you ladies this because this is something you know along the same lines that we were talking about with the cave Mm -hmm. so we played in candlestick park needless to say it was it was very windy and needless to say really cold on certain nights um is it the same way with with grapes as far as if a grape is in a cooler climate than one that's in a little warmer climate. Does that affect the taste and stuff like that? It does. Will, you are you are a bright and spot on man. It absolutely does. Vanessa, I'll let, I'll let you master of wine take it away. Yeah. No, well, you talked about the cave earlier and you know how it was nice and cool in there. And so obviously that's a perfect place to mature wine because um, chemical reactions happen faster at higher temperatures. So it's a beautiful way to sort of have a long, um, slow sort of aging process there, you know, without rushing anything. So things can really kind of become harmonious in barrel. But to go back to your question, you know, it's the same in the growing of grapes for wine where, you know, a cooler climate, things are going to develop a little bit more slowly. They won't get as ripe. So not as much sugar when the grapes are harvested and, you know, sugar is converted into alcohol during during fermentation. So absolutely. Um, you know, and what's really great about, you know, a place like Napa is you can actually, there are many regions in the world that are known for being world-class growing regions, which have kind of a balance. So here we call it um, what we have a diurnal shift. So it's a 
day to nighttime temperature shift where it can be, you know, 30 degrees different from day to night. Yeah. You live in the Bay Area. You know about this. Yeah. Right. So it's that, it's that balance, right? Where you get this ripeness during the daytime. So you're developing the sugar and the, and the physiological ripeness that you need, but then the coolness at night slows it down, keeps the acid fresh. So that was a fantastic question. That was one of the best questions we've gotten asked on this podcast. I think, Amanda. Well, thank you. (laughs) I know. I was impressed. Thank you. That was a great question. Okay. So, so since, since I'm in Inquisitive by nature. All right. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you again here, Vanessa. So I I noticed one of the wines Mm -hmm. that it spent eight months in a barrel. What is kind of the average time or does it depend on what the winemaker wants to get out of the product? That is another great question. So overall, it depends in stylistically. However, there are some regions in the world, like places in Italy, let's say, or, or Spain, where it's written, there's actually laws about wine and wine production. And so in some cases, it's actually dictated by that region, you know, that has to spend a certain amount of, of time either in barrel or a combination of barrel and bottle. But here in, you know, the new world in the United States, we're not held to laws like that. So it's kind of more artistic license for what the winemaker would want. But the reason to choose it would be, you know, time in a barrel can do things like, we were talking about tannins earlier, right? Do things like soften tannins over time, you know, allow a little bit of a different textural experience on the palate, a little more roundness, breadth, et cetera. Or choose not to, and you're going to get kind of more linear focused, more fruit driven type wines. And and then anywhere in between, there's a broad range, which allows for for all types of different wines to be made, which is part of the fun because there's something for everyone. I got you. I got you. And I'd say eight eight months is on like not uh, the lower-ish side of the spectrum when it comes to red wine. Like a lot of the Cabernets and Napa are 12 to 24 months. So Or even longer. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll see wines up to four years in age um, yeah. in barrel. But yeah, I mean, I think eight, year, eight years, goodness, <laughs> eight months in barrel is like a nice time for it to become round, but it's not going to take on a lot. Of, and you can also impart flavors. You can get a lot of those like baking spices and vanilla and things like that. So not enough time to really take on all that, but enough to sort of like integrate it. You kind of have to think of it like a seasoned pot, yeah. like, you know, a pot that you put like a sauce in and it's not a perfect example, but you get what I mean. So, so here's another one too. My wife and I, because she wanted to take a little tour of Napa. I actually reached out to one of our guys who is in the front office and he had the connections because he's kind of in the marketing department. I got a chance to go to Mondavi and we actually had lunch with uh, Miss Marguerite Mondavi. Wow. And uh, needless to say, they they brought one or two different wines out and she kind of walked us through why she picked them and all that. And, uh, and then that was, that was really, uh, pretty special was being able to, you know, sit down and have lunch with her and, and, uh, and be at her place. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, Robert and Margaret Mondavi are two people that I really wish I, I would have had the chance to meet and they were gone before I got here. But I, you know, Dusty Baker was like really involved with Mondavi. We had a great talk with him. He was involved from like, yeah, I think the late nineties on, he was like on their board and had a lot to do with that. I don't know if you guys ever talked about that, but Ooh. We never, we never did talk about it, but I, I knew that uh, I knew that Dusty was into wine, and and then you know he did the what is it the Baker Family Wineries? Is that what it is now? Mm-hmm. And yep. Uh, yep. you know I know that that he had some of his family members involved too. Yeah, yeah, he he does a great job up there. Um, we we got a chance to taste those wines and. We got to go visit uh, at some point. It sounds like it's kind of a cool place. He's got like a whole farm and yeah. growing operation. But um, yeah, and then uh, another guy too. You know, while while we're on the subject, of, you know, baseball guys and wine was a guy that came a little bit after me. 
Uh, his name is Richie Aurelia. Oh, yeah. He's got Red Stitch. It, exactly. Exactly. He and the manager of the Dodgers, right. Dave Roberts, when they were playing on the Giants together, got to be best buds. Right. And they got into that wine. And I've had some of his wine, and uh, I liked it, too. Maybe we should get you and Dusty together and like maybe Nomar and to taste all the the baseball players' wines because there's a there's a few of them out there and we would blind you on them. Yeah. That'd be fun. What do you think? Not to put you on the spot. That's a whole nother show right there. <laughs> That'll work. I'm into it. I'm into it. I know you're uh you're super into hunting and fishing. Um, and you had mentioned earlier that you, you know, you're into trying different, uh, different game. Tell me about you know, your life in, uh, in Louisiana right now? Um, like I said, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad. Uh, we did the, the fishing mainly in the uh, early spring and summer, and then we transitioned into the hunting in the fall. But there was always something going on down here, whether it be crabs, shrimp, oysters. Mm. Um, and so, like, like we said, not only did, you know, I grow up down here, but I grew up eating those kind of wild game fish, you know, shellfish, anything in different types of recipes. So, you know, like I said before, I'm pretty adventurous when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. And now having, you know, gotten a little older and also, you know, owning my own place, I own a, a, a ranch in Mississippi. I am trying to pass it down to the next generation, whether it be, you know, my own kids or nephews and nieces. And then also all of my friends, you know, they bring their kids over to the ranch and we try to get them their first, you know, deer or hog or whatever it might be. And, um, and it's been really good. So that leads me to another question. Uh -oh. uh, I just mentioned, I just mentioned it. I wouldn't even hesitate to to use both of these wines with the venison because they, they go really well with it. What would you ladies say about what I should have with pork? Well, that definitely depends on the preparation of it. Because okay. Vanessa, it looked like you were like chomping to the bit for that one though. <laughs> I am. I am a little. I think Syrah. I think Syrah goes great with pork. Okay. We're having a bad explosion and is California as well mm. with the wild hogs, the feral hogs. And you can shoot them year round and they're so plentiful. It's unbelievable. And it, not only do I do, you know, some of the roasts and stuff like that, and then I'll have my processor who'll cut them up into pork chops. Oh, nice. And the guys at the ranch absolutely annihilate them. And I was just thinking about what would be a, like, like you said, Vanessa, a good wine to go with that. But I think you're right in the, the preparation, though, too, right? Because I think Beaujolais could go really well, too. Yeah, I mean, like, you know... Beaujolais, Pinot. Pork is one of those things that sort of runs the game. You could have everything from, you know, pulled pork where you've got, like, a, a you know, vinegar-style barbecue sauce all the way to, like, roast pork to pork chops. And depending on where you're pulling that pork from, you know, whether it's the pork belly or whether it's something with, you know, a little less fat, that can really change. If I've got something like pork belly, though, I'm probably going somewhere like Pinot Noir because I want a little bit more acidity to cut through that fat. Uh, if you've got pulled pork, I mean, I I would go uh, I'd go the rosé champagne route if I'm if I've got pulled pork. Um, but I I like Syrah like across the board, especially when you're talking about wild meats like that that can sort of run the gamut and have a little bit of gaminess to them. Syrah's got that great sort of olivey, peppery quality to it. Not peppery in the way that you were you were mentioning before, but the cab. But you know, really like a black pepper sort of spice to it. Yeah good cracked pepper. Yeah. And it just like anything that you would put on pork to make pork or to season pork is something that you would definitely find taste wise in something like a Syrah. So I, mean, I don't know. I'd go eight years in the desert. Maybe I'd grab something from France. I, I could, you could have a little fun with that. That's a, uh, that's a great, 
great way to lead me down the path. Thank you. I appreciate that because you're welcome. Because it's it's more going to be along the lines of the pork chops or the roasts. I'm not going to do the bellies and all that sort of stuff. And on top of that, because it is wild game, it's lean. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely when you got like the leaner side of things, you want to amp it up a little bit. Uh, speaking of the path, what is your path? I and mean, you're, you're in Louisiana, you're hunting, you're fishing, you're doing all the things. Are you going to a wine shop? You know what? We have uh pick out your wine. guy that I played baseball with. Uh, he uh, just got into the wine business and he has since sent me a bottle here and sent me a bottle there and said, here, try this out. And are they are they good? Have you liked the suggestions and the things you've been sent? You know what? He he went along the more cab route and I tried it out, but it wasn't my cup of tea. He sent me not your thing. You know, not I guess thing. I guess you guys would talk about a lot of tannins because this one was pretty harsh. I mean, it was yeah. It had a it had a good like bite to it at the end. You know. Yep. That's one of those like crazy misunderstood words. You know, I, I always feel bad that it exists because I think people hear tannin and they associate it with one thing. And, and then we as sommeliers and wine professionals get it confused with another. And it's, uh, it is like the simplest thing, but we don't think about it in everyday life. We don't think about, you know, the texture or, or how our mouth feels after we eat or, you know, we, we taste something. We're usually focusing on the flavor profiles of things. So it's, I don't know. It's one of those sort of weird nebulous things that we have to sort of retrain our brains to think about. I don't often like chew a piece of food and I'm like, how does this feel? <laughs> you know, but I do that every time I taste wine, right? I sit there and I just like stop, but I'm just like, I'm just going to feel yeah. like send the sensation, you know? So no, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so much of the enjoyment. I think, you yeah. know, it's, it's so multidimensional how you can appreciate wine. No, I agree. So both of you ladies, you know, are, you know, very, very up to date on all of this stuff, even though you have to try everything kind of across the board. Are there ones that you guys personally go back to, or do you just have a little preference all the way across the board? I'll let Vanessa say her favorite <laughs> phrase. <laughs> well, I know what she's queuing me up for, which is I, I say I like to drink promiscuously. Oh, which is to not <laughs> to not <laughs> to not get in too much of a rut, you know, because you can get what they call a house palate, you know, which is your taste the thing, same thing all the time. And then you branch out and you're not used to it. And so, so I, I intentionally try not to drink the same wines too often there. Are, I mean, I love certain styles of wine. Like Amanda knows what I'm going to say. It's champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so definitely I do. She likes to drink it, not spray it, <laughs> right. by the way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I'm usually not yelling profanity either at the same time. It's the opposite. That's a lie, Vanessa. I've, I've seen you after two. Yeah, but. you also didn't get through playing a 162-game schedule and were absolutely gassed. That is accurate. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, but that's that's how I like to enjoy things. But Amanda, what's your thought on that? I'm a promiscuous drinker as well. I don't subscribe to monogamy with wine. But I, you know, I mean, like you said, there's, there's definitely go-tos. It's interesting right now because... Most of what I'm drinking is like what I'm drinking on the podcast and then what I'm drinking because I've got tastings or, you know, I'm just, I kind of like drink what's open. So it does kind of like lead me down different paths. But I will say, I just kicked off this, like this new series that I'm doing on my YouTube channel. It's like forced me to re-examine varieties and styles that I have not looked at since the beginning days of my sommelier education. So like, for example, I had a Torontes the other day and I swore up and down. So this is this Argentinian white variety that really doesn't exist outside the region. And um, I swore up and down that I hated it. I was like, Torontes is the worst. I don't drink Torontes. So I got this Zuccardi Torontes that you guys have in the and that Wine Access yeah. has in the state. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. And I was so blown away by it. And I had it like three times. I had it first with sushi. By the way, Will, I know you don't drink 
white wine that much, but I will say this is like <laughs> the best sushi wine pairing on the planet is this Zucardi. It's $15. It is so freaking good. So I had it with that. Then we had Chinese food like two nights later. I had it with that. And it was really good with that. So oh, yeah. I don't know. This is like, I mean, you can tell my voice. I get excited about these things because I was like, I don't like Toronto's. And then it like blew my mind. And I was like, you know what? This is like why I love wine. A long-winded way of answering your question. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that both of y'all let me let me know that. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny because it, it comes, I guess you want to say full circle, but uh, being an outdoorsman, I've also been to Argentina a bunch hunting and they always do the mm. little, uh, you know, lunches in the middle of the day in the field and they'll have, uh, whether it be steak or chicken or, or pork or whatever, they, they cook on the mesquite and they'll break out some Argentine wines. And the Argentine wines that I've had so far have been absolutely dynamite. I love them. Yeah. Probably some Malbec in there. Yeah. The, the Argentinians, I'm always jealous when I, when I look to see what they're eating and drinking. Like it's just such a great way of life, you know, roasting over the fire and you know, drinking Malbec and like, I don't know, it just seems so primal and wonderful to me. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that they do down there, like you said, over an open fire and uh, they put a lot of uh, salt on their meat mm-hmm. um, to, to, to have it adhere to the fat and stuff like that, melt in, render. Uh, when they're cooking it. So mm-hmm. a lot of those wines right there go really well with the salty component mm-hmm. of that meat down there. Vanessa, have you ever been down there? I have. I have. I actually, um, I, when I was studying, I think I was in maybe the first year of the MW um, study program. I went to Argentina. I was mostly in Mendoza, which was what I was going to ask. Did you actually go to any wineries while you were there? No, no, we did not, Vanessa. Um, we were on the western side of uh, Argentina. We're at the base of the mountains in Cordoba. And uh, so we're our plane flight due west of Buenos Aires. So, um, you know, we were out in the middle of the countryside and all that. And like I said, we just kind of drank whatever they brought. But it, I remember it being first off a Malbec. And I remember it being really good. Well, if you go back and you would like to hmm. do some wine visits while you're there, please hit me up. I'd be delighted to uh, to make some recommendations. That'd be great. That'd be great. I'll call you as well. I've not been down there and I, I feel like I am missing out. Podcast field trip? <laughs> yeah. Look at you guys go. Yes, Joe Fish. <laughs> <laughs> we've already we already scheduled so many field trips with people via this podcast. So when COVID is over, yep. we're like, we're jet setting with everybody. Oh, yeah. I think we've got a, a Sicily oh, wow. trip planned. We've mm-hmm. definitely got a South American. Yeah. This is all like in theory, not in practice. Where are you going to go? Me personally? Yeah. Where are you heading? Uh, I am. <laughs> I was I was scheduled to go to Argentina this year and then uh, COVID whacked that. So uh, they postponed it to next year. So I'm uh-huh. keeping my fingers crossed. I can head on back down there. It'll probably be early in the year, maybe end of January, early February next year. Is that like a yearly thing that you do? No, I, I do it every five, six years, something like that. But uh, I got a bunch of my, my buddies that have been begging me to go down there. So I, I kind of set the trip up. Are most of your, your friends, are they, in, are they in baseball? Actually, no, believe it or not. I, I, still have, I still have quite a few friends in baseball, but the, the people that I associate with are you know people that I grew up with mm. or you know guys that I hunt and fish with and uh, mainly people down here. Uh, I have one really, really good friend who's in California, and I talk to him every day on the phone. Um, but uh, the majority of my friends are down this way. Yeah. And Mike Kruko, who you brought up a few times, right? Is that your California buddy? Yep. Yeah, that's my California buddy. And Mike's, Mike's from uh, San Luis Obispo. I know there's a, a winery or two down there, correct? Yeah. Slow. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, so I think that's how Mike 
and his wife Jennifer got you know initiated into it, and then since then they have uh, relocated to uh, Reno, and he has an apartment in San Francisco when he does the the games. But for the most part, they live in Reno now. Mm. So we've mentioned we've mentioned a few different you know wines on here. You know, like you know, needless to say, the 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 Swift eight years that we were drinking here and in the Coho. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you guys like really like a winery that y'all like really enjoy? going to that you would push to other people? You know, Napa, you can really run the gamut as far as how expensive a tasting is, how much the wines are, what the experience is like. But the one that I typically, you know, offhand, somebody asked me, what's your favorite winery to go to? It's Frog's Leap. Um, And I just, I love, 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 love that experience. It's been organically farmed there for years. Um, They were the, one of the first lead, actually, they were the first lead certified tasting room uh, in in wine country in California. But the hospitality experience is just so simple and wonderful and friendly. and Down to earth. Um, they give you cheese, which is always nice. Yeah, exactly. You just walk in and you feel like your family there. And I just, I love that. To me, it's like the quintessential Napa Valley experience. And it's what I want everyone to come to Napa Valley and leave feeling is the way that they make you feel there. Well done, Frogslip. Have you been there before? I have not. I have not. I've actually been... Uh, you know, Vanessa was talking about her uh, affinity for the champagne. We, uh, through the Giants, we went to uh, Mum. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, That's uh, a beautiful place. Had a, had a chance to, yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, back in the day, when one of my first times there, what was the one that had the tram? Was that Sterling? That's Sterling. They still have it, the gondola. Sterling. Yeah, Sterling. They still got yep. it? Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yep. You know, like went and sat out on the deck and had like three or four different you know, wines to choose from. And like you said, little cheese and little crackers. And it was like, man, it was so peaceful and it was nice and cool and watching the sun go down. It was just, a, it was just a great day, great atmosphere. Yeah. Any, any place on your bucket list that you haven't been to winery wise? Um, You drive by and you're like, man, I got to get there someday. Yeah. You know what? Uh, not really. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open and, you know, if, if we do decide to go up that way next time, either I'll contact you ladies and say, hey, yeah. what should I try? Or I'd call Kruko and say, hey, what's your new favorite you want me to go pass on by? Op- Opus One. Every- I think we can't get through a-, a podcast without talking about Opus One. <laughs> yep. Yep. I know he's he's told me I need to pop in there one time. Yeah. I'm like, all right. That's a beautiful spot that, you know, that sits right in the heart of Oakville, kind of, you know, what we would call the heart of Napa Valley. But. Yeah, that is a that's a bit of a rite of passage, you know, that perfect, uh, beautiful luxury Napa Valley wine experience. If you want that caliber of of wine, you know, not inexpensive by any means, but um, but definitely worth it. I think I'm more along the lines of the little smaller, you know, mm-hmm. more more fan friendly, shall we say, type of uh, situations. You got any you like? Well, I'm a little partial. So you mean kind of like a smaller, more intimate experience? Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm I'm partial because I was I actually worked there for a while, but Arietta mm. is a great wine. It's owned by uh, Fritz and Karen Hatton, family owned. You know, small production, but amazing pedigree. And I know Amanda used to carry a lot of those right on the list at press because they're really food friendly and yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I I love I mean I love those wines. They're some of my favorite in Napa, but it's also just you know it's a small experience. It's by appointment. It's you know you're not going to have to like elbow people up to the t- tasting bar or anything like that. So. Yeah. I always like that. And I always like we can actually, you know, we can often 
taste with Fritz, who's the owner. Yeah. I always think you get, you know, like some really cool personal insight and stories when you're actually talking to someone who either, you know, owns the winery or made the wine. So I like those types of experiences. And Will, Fritz would give you a run for his money on uh, enthusiasm for life. (laughs) He's like... How would yes. you describe him, Vanessa? You know him better than I do. Oh, well, I, I say he's he's putting on the fritz. <laughs> Cause it's just like <laughs> he has one he has one speed and it is it's high and it's fritz. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's it's joyful, it's funny, it's irreverent. Uh, he'll just burst into song out of nowhere. You know, it's uh <laughs> Yeah, it's, and a voice that can support that. He has a background in music. It's yes. he's not a he's not a loud like bad karaoke singer, but he's a he's a trip. The guy no. knows his wine though. He used to love coming into press. Oh yeah, and he'd ask me. He'd sit down at the bar and he'd go, "Bring me some blind wines." And I go, "All right, how many do you want?" He's like, five. I'm like, "All right." So I go find him like you know one after the other in sequence, and he'd have a blast. He'd sit there like all night, and I would you know I would, sometimes he'd get it, sometimes he would. Oh man, I should have gotten that one. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. He's such a he's such a treat and like, you know, he does he's an auctioneer too, so he he'll do a lot of the auctions in Happy Valley. I think he's he's doing uh is he doing Wine of Palooza again? He sure is. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Every year since the beginning. Yeah, Wine of Palooza is a great auction happening here in, in Napa that benefits a, a local um animal rescue sanctuary. And um anyway, it's a it's a really fun event and uh he's always our auctioneer. So yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, I hope you're back there soon. Uh it sounds like you you might be though, because you're the student has become the teacher and you're uh, you're here <laughs> working for the Giants uh, in a different capacity, right? That is correct. Uh, on the baseball field, I'm one of the special hitting instructors. And then when I switch hats and I go into the stands, uh, I am uh, basically like a community ambassador. Oh, nice. And so hmm. on, on the baseball side of things, I not only work with the major leagues, but also work with our minor leaguers as well. We had two East Coast teams. We had a, an A-ball team in Augusta, Georgia, and then we got a double-A team in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. And since everybody else is West Coast, it was easy for me to go see those two teams and report back. Well, then now the the team in Augusta has moved to Eugene, Oregon. So pretty much everything now is on the West Coast as far as the Giants go, with the exception of Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I will definitely have to see at least at least uh, Richmond and then two West Coast teams. So I will def- definitely be coming West here pretty soon. Great. How do you, how do you like it on this side of the bench? You know what? I, uh, you know, had a great relationship with, with everybody who is fans, you know, in San Francisco. And, and when you venture outside of San Francisco, you run into the Napa's and the Sacramento's and the Fresno's and, and the Reddings, and and you just you take in the beauty of being outside of the city. Mm. And so I've I've had friends all over the place, and uh, I get a chance to spend as as much time as possible when I'm not at the ballpark. I am out. See you later. <laughs> back back home with family or in the hotel sleeping? No, no. I mean, well, yeah, I'm back home with family. But then yeah. when I'm in San Francisco, that's what I'm saying. When I'm not at the ballpark. I'm visiting somebody's ranch. Yeah, or yeah. I mean, oh, you're going, you're going out. I got gotcha, you. Gotcha. You know, going to going to Napa or whatever. I mean, I'm I'm trying to do stuff that I was not able to do when when I played. Here's a perfect example. Uh, three years ago was my first time ever seeing the Muir Woods. Wow, you played in San Francisco for that long. You never saw the Muir Woods. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that just shows you how you know how much we were at the ballpark. You know, instead of being 
able to go do, you know, fun things. Yeah. Well, I, baseball's fun, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, though, <laughs> I, I don't know, I mean, if it, it's like, you know, living in New York City, I don't know if you ever got to go do things like, you know, go to the Statue of Liberty or like, I never, I lived in New York for a decade. I never did that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, how often were we going to the Empire State Building or the, you know, Times Square? Like, we were avoiding it like the <laughs> Or just working all the time. New York's a weird example, though. <laughs> yeah. Glad to, yes. And, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, you know, sitting at Burgess and having a glass of wine with some cheese, you know, and watching the sunset. Hey, look, the, the pedal doesn't have to be all the way to the floorboard all the time. You need to throttle back every now and then. You know, you ladies know as well as I do, you know, because you get a chance to do this quite a bit, enjoying a nice glass of wine and just chilling for a little bit. It, that's a that's a pretty damn good afternoon or night. It's right not there. a bad gig. I, uh, we can't complain that this is our job. Uh, <laughs> right, Vanessa? Cannot. Cannot. Uh, any anything on the horizon for you besides drinking the rest of these bottles and maybe eating a little uh, little pork in the future? I definitely, uh, you know, as as we talked about, you know, to open the show, you know, I love Merlot and I love trying the different varieties within. And then now, you know, having the Orange Swift and, and the Shira Zinfandel type, I'm going to start trying a few more of those in that genre and see if uh, see if I like that too as well. All right. Well, we've done our jobs, I think, Vanessa. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. That's really what this is all about. We just want people to drink more wine and plenty of it. Exactly. <laughs> hey, look, you know what? It's, it's kind of funny you said that because uh, my wife, um, you know, knew that we were coming on here and and that we were, we were going to do, you know, the, the tastings and stuff like that. And so I gave her a little sip of the wines last night and she turns around and goes out and buys a few bottles of wine today. So, uh, all right, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. might have to have a glass a little bit later on. <sighs> all right. I love it. Yeah. Cause you told me your, your wife is kind of a lightweight. She doesn't drink that much wine. So I'm glad to hear it. No, she doesn't. But, uh, every now and then she'll surprise me and want to have a glass and, uh, and it, it makes for a, for a great meal and, and great afternoon. Well, goodness gracious, I will not keep her waiting any longer. Um, <laughs> we'll, you know, obviously be cheering for the Giants. They're our, our backyard team. Thank you. Um, even though I am from Philly, I, you know, I, I pledge allegiance to a few different baseball teams. I hope that's okay. Well, you, I can tell you this right now. You're probably the nicest person I've met from Philly. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, we're all not we're not all terrible. <laughs> oh my goodness. I I got called everything but a child of God in that ballpark. Ooh. Yeah. And Vanessa, where are you from? I'm from Amarillo, Texas. Oh wow. Yeah. Look at you go. <laughs> yeah. I've actually been to Amarillo, Texas a few times. Did, well, I'm assuming you went to the Big Texan. I did. I did for sure. Yes. You know? Did you finish everything and get a, a your picture on the wall? No, I didn't get my picture on the wall. I wasn't I wasn't that adventurous. All right, I let <laughs> okay. I let the guys with the twenty five year old appetites y'all y'all go to eat and all that craziness. But uh, yeah, um, you're known for a lot of things. You've got a lot of fans. Uh, I am curious, you know, of the things that you're most famous for, maybe not even of those. What's the best thing a fan can say to you? Oh my god. Probably the ultimate compliment that somebody could tell me was that you're a true pro. Mm. Uh, you came every day, you know, you got ready to play every day. You walked out on the field and you gave me a hundred percent every time I walked out there. And that right there would be the ultimate, you know, like little pat on the back. Um, I know that there's a lot of ball players who are, you know, and, and they give everybody a bad name, you know, who don't play the game the way it should be played. And 
I'm the first one to, you know, want to go kick them in the ass too. So, Mm. um, this is not how I was handed the game and this is not how I am handing the game to the, the generation that I'm dealing with right now. So, you know, go out there, prepare yourself extremely well. And when you step out on that field, give me 110%. Otherwise, uh, I will be crawling up your butt. <laughs> All right. All of Will's players be, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> be warned. <laughs> they know. They know. <laughs> Believe me. Oh, man. Well, I, I appreciate you always giving 110%. I know uh, I know. Joe Fish, the CEO of Wine Access, is a big fan. I think he was trying to tell a story in the oh, car yeah. the other day. I don't know what it was. We'll have to get him to tell it. It was hard to hear him, but I know he's a big fan. And I, I think it was something to the yeah. along the lines of like, you know, he just appreciated everything that you put out on the field. So I, I yeah, and like a formative experience he had watching you. Yeah, what you just said, I think, has been uh, displayed in spades across. I don't think anybody can can say that you didn't work hard and you didn't give it give it all, and that you didn't show up prepared and ready to go for every game. So um, that's a that's a true professional right there, and I think we can all learn a lot from that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, I mean, I was kind of taught the right way, and when you know we went into college. I was not going to settle to be just average. I wanted to be above average. I wanted our team to be above average. And when you set that mark for yourself, plus you set that mark for your teammates and you drag them along with you, um, all of a sudden you look up and you're, you're winning the whole time. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get into minor league ball, it was the same way. You get into major league ball, all of a sudden it's the same way. It's like people look up to you and you, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, we did it the right way and we're going to keep doing it the right way and we're going to keep winning. And, you know, the Giants had not won in a very long time uh, before myself and a few other my teammates came along. And then all of a sudden we got the whole thing turned around and we were expected to win every year. And I really enjoyed that end of things. And I think that what you're seeing, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area and stuff like that is people really respecting the fact that we came out there to win. We didn't come out there just to play the game. We came out there to win and and to to make some lasting memories for the fans. I think we did a good job. How instrumental do you, I mean, you've been, one of the things that I think I, I read the most about you was pertaining to your confidence. How much do you think confidence played a role in your ability to show up every game and, and be ready to go? In order to succeed, you have to believe that you are going to succeed. And a lot of people have that inner confidence. Um, and, and it, and it, and it portrays in, in you guys, you know, tasting wines and like Vanessa and I were talking about how, how, you know, you, you guys can lead clients down the right path, um, because of the homework that you've done. Same thing along my line. A lot of times I had to physically like come out and say, Hey, I'm better than that guy because, you know, in baseball it's failure oriented. I mean, if you fail, you know, seven out of 10 times. You're a great hitter. And so you have to have something to sway those odds in your direction. And for me, it was just believing in myself and knowing that I'm prepared and I'm going to make sure all of my teammates are prepared and we're going to go out there and win this ballgame. And, um, you know, it, it would rub some people the wrong way, but the people that it rubbed the wrong way were the people that I was kicking their ass. So too bad. <laughs> don't don't mistake his confidence for arrogance. <laughs> there you go. No. There you go. Hey, look, I was trying to beat him. I mean, I tell the guys nowadays, I said, you know, I love I love you guys to death. I said, but you know, two nothing is not a lead. Four nothing's not a lead. Six nothing's not a lead. You need to keep adding on, you know, when you got somebody down, you need to beat on them. <laughs> 
and uh, it worked out pretty good for sure us. Sure did. Now you're here on a wine podcast. And I'm loving life, too. That's good. That's good. You worked hard. You, you deserve it. You ladies have definitely, definitely brought me out of my comfort zone. And Thank you. I have really enjoyed it. I really have enjoyed it. I mean, not only from the standpoint of, you know, tasting the wines that, that you ladies picked out for me, but also, you know, understanding your business because Wow, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's a deep dark hole, so just uh watch your watch yourself. <laughs> watch your step. <laughs> it's, it's an easy rabbit hole to fall down. <laughs> Put it this way, as much uh, as much uh beer and bourbon as I've drank, I think I would have to reinitiate my palate to uh all the different flavors that you ladies have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Nah, it doesn't take that long. You'll be fine. You got two good tutors, I think. In your in your back pocket, if you need us. There you go. There you go. Well, well, thank you so much for taking the time and stepping out of your comfort zone with us. It was a real treat. I, you know, I have to say, when we first got to the phone, and you were like, "Well, I drink a lot of Jack and a lot of Coors and do a lot of fit. I was like, "All right, well, I guess we'll find something to talk about." But <laughs> um, you know, this has been uh, this has been such a treat and. Um, such a great conversation. I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and uh, talking with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I, I really, really enjoyed meeting you ladies. And and uh, congratulations on, on basically what you guys do every day, you know, for a living is uh, putting newbies like myself on, on some good wines. And y'all did a great job. So thank y'all so much. And uh, I really appreciate you letting me uh, spend a little bit of the afternoon with you ladies. Oh, the pleasure was entirely ours. Thank you. Well, Vanessa, I don't think we ever really know where these conversations are going to go, as we've said before, but I have to say that was a conversation that was way more wine heavy than I ever anticipated. And he had very intelligent, insightful questions to ask about wine. Yes, I agree. They were great questions. They were really fun to answer. And he he alluded to this. He said, you know, I'm, I'm an inquisitive guy and I think He's absolutely right. He's someone that is just curious by nature, wants to keep getting better, wants to learn. And uh, it was a really, really fun diving down the wine rabbit hole with him today. Oh, totally agree. And um, I was surprised. I really thought he'd go for the the Coho Merlot as his... Uh, I know. As his favorite. So, but I loved that it, in a way, I loved that it wasn't the expected wine. Yeah, yeah. Let's dive into less drops. Uh, I think if we had gone into this and put money on it, both of us would have said he's going to pick the Merlot because he has said so often that he loves Merlot. But I have to tell you, I am thrilled not to overdo it there with the thrill uh, <laughs> that he went for the eight years in the desert by Orrin Swift. I think texturally it gave him what he wanted. I also think, as we talked about, putting that wine against the coho, which was definitely a more quiet, soft, slightly more reserved style of Merlot, definitely teed up the Merlot to not be a, a wine that wanted to sit next to it. But I think um, I think it held its own regardless. Oh, totally. And I, I just have to say hats off to you for choosing well, because you really did listen to what he described in terms of what he likes and then chose a wine that not only did he like, but he liked better than his kind of old standby. So well done, <laughs> well, you. thanks. Thank you. Yeah, put my old sommelier skills and the old Sam hat back on. It was fun. Um, Vanessa, it sounds like he's going to be off to the races looking for these wines. Where would you like me to direct him when he does? Well, you can find them, of course, at wineaccess.com. And sometimes we have little gems of offers that we only put on Instagram. So if you want to follow us there at Wine Access. And um, we're also on Facebook, uh, the 
Wine Access Facebook experience. Absolutely. They're such a treat to follow for all the great Instagram lives and those special Instagram wines, which are always like, they're the wines that every sommelier wants in their cellar. So I'm always jealous when somebody calls dibs before me. Um, (laughs) If you guys enjoyed this show and have been enjoying this show, we would certainly appreciate you subscribing to this podcast, leaving us a review, preferably the five-star kind. And if you want a little bit more, if this wasn't enough for you and we dangled the bait well enough for you, uh, not sushi, actual bait, please head over to the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast Instagram. We are at Wine Access Unfiltered on IG and at Wine Access Pod on Twitter. We post some video clips there. We post some pictures of the wines we drank and some fun little behind the scenes stories from the show. So see you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.